0: So I've been struggling with an introduction to the sermon, so we're just going to jump into the passage. All right, So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today, uh, starting in verses 1 through 4. There are uh, two stories in the book of Luke that are very similar that involve tax collectors and involve uh, Jesus dealing with them and, and their conclusions come out to be pretty much the same thing. Uh, this one is the more detailed of the two stories, and so this is the one we're going to look at uh, today. Uh, it kind of goes against my theme because there isn't actually a table involved in this one. so all right, but here's what he says, starting in verse one, he says, "Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. And he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Uh, If you were to read the entire book of Luke, you would see that one of the questions that is being addressed by Luke, starting from chapter 14 and ending with this story of Zacchaeus, is this question. The question is, who can come to God? And, and a lot of us who've grown up in the church, maybe have gone to Sunday school, we know the answer, right? Who can come to God? Anyone. Everyone. Right? And we understand that question, answer, but for the people that are reading Luke for the very first time, they didn't understand that. See, the Jewish people, they really thought you had to be a Jew to be able to access God. You had to follow the law. You had to be a good Jewish countryman. You had to do all these things. And Jesus in his life is trying to show them that that's not all it takes. It doesn't matter who you were born into or how you were born. It matters about your faith. And so he, he works through these five chapters uh, trying to show that anyone and everyone can come to God. And it culminates with Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus lives in the town of Jericho. Jericho was a uh, very important city in, in Palestine. Uh, if you were to look at the uh, map of, Jer- uh, of Israel, of Palestine, and look at the topography of the land, you would see that there are mountain ranges all across the land that runs north and south. And so if you were traveling, uh, it was a lot easier to go north and south. Every once in a while, though, there are these ridges that pass through east to west, and Jericho happens to be situated at the end of one of these east-west routes through the land of Palestine. And so that means anybody that's trying to go east to west has to travel through Jericho. Uh, Jericho also sits at a very shallow portion of the Jordan River, and, and so anybody that's bringing goods into Palestine from the east would have to cross the Jordan River somewhere. And so a lot of them came to Jericho. And so it sits on this very important east-west trade routes. Also, because it sits on the Jordan River, it was on one of the main north-south trade routes as well. And so you have this cross-section of traders and people trying to make money. On top of that, Jericho had a very good economy itself. Uh, there are two things that grow really, really well in Jericho. One of them is basalm. Uh, we don't use it so much, but in the first century world, it was a, a, had medical usage. And so it would go all over the Roman Empire, and people would pay good money for balsam. The other thing is, is our figs, and, and we see that uh, Zacchaeus here, he climbs a fig tree. All right? and so these figs went throughout Palestine, and people ate them. Uh, I don't really care for figs. I don't know. Fig newtons are okay, uh, but that's about it. All right, and so, so Jericho is a very rich town, and we read that Zacchaeus is in Jericho, and he's a chief tax collector. Uh, we don't really know what that means because it's the only place that we read about somebody being a chief tax collector, but we're going to assume that he is the top dog that collects taxes in this region. And because it's a wealthy region, they're going to collect more taxes. Now, in our country, taxes are very much, you just fill out a form and you send in what the government tells you to pay, right? Very easy for us. Now, for them, it was done a little bit differently. Uh, For them, the Roman Empire would say, we need X amount of dollars from this region. And so if you were talking about the region of Jericho, they may say, we need $100 per person. And so someone would be charged with getting that money. But the Roman Empire doesn't pay the person that's getting the money. He does, they don't pay their tax collectors. The tax collectors get their money by what they charge the people. And so if the government is wanting $100 from you, the guy in charge of them is going to want you to pay 100 and, let's say, $150. And so they would get $50 from every person to live off of. And then the people under them would charge in order to have an income as well. And so for every, let's just say for every two dollars that you paid, only one dollar was actually going to Rome. On top of this, the tax collectors didn't have to charge everyone the same. So if they liked you and you were on their good sides, they may only charge you what Rome required. But if you were on their bad side and you talked smack behind their their backs, you might get charged a little bit extra. And so it was important to be on the good side with these people. And Zacchaeus is on the top of this very wealthy city in this very corrupt area uh, of, of work. And he is said to have a lot of money, to be wealthy. And we can also see why probably people didn't like tax collectors too much, right? All right, nobody really likes tax collectors. People that come and take your money, right? We don't like the system, at least. All right, but for their, for them, all right, the tax collectors were also corrupt people as well. And so no one really likes the tax collectors, no one really likes Zacchaeus, and we see this in this story as Jesus is passing by, a crowd has formed, and they're looking at Jesus, and here is Zacchaeus, he's shorter than everybody else, and he's trying to see above everyone else, and it's not really working well for him. Uh, usually though, when crowds form, we tend to let people that are shorter than us in front of us. Why? Because we can still see and it doesn't inhibit us, so we're kind of nice like that sometimes. Sometimes not, but sometimes we are. And this crowd easily could have let Zacchaeus come to the front, recognizing that he was shorter, but instead they kind of just, you know, don't. And so Zacchaeus, he, in all reality, is an outcast in his society. Our society has outcasts, and we can think of some of the things that causes people to be outside of the norm of society probably they're sinners, probably they're doing things that we don't really care for. They might be drunkards, they might uh, be something else, they might have issues that cause them not to be people that we really want to associate with, and so they become outcasts, people that we don't want to be around. And sometimes, even within the church, we treat people as outcasts. And we crowd them out from being able to see Jesus. And the problem is is that unlike Zacchaeus, a lot of people, when they are pushed away over and over again, they're not going to run and climb a tree. They're just going to stay away. And so we have to be aware of outcasts within our society. We have to be aware of the people that other people put at arm's length. They're like, I don't know that I really want to be around you. All right, so Zacchaeus is on this outskirts, and he runs up to this tree because he's that dedicated to seeing who Jesus is. And we see that he climbs this tree, and Jesus comes by, and then something pretty spectacular happens in verse 5. This is what he says. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, the tree that Zacchaeus is in, Jesus looked up and he said to him, (coughs) Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. So we see that Jesus does something very unexpected, right? Everybody else is kind of keeping Zacchaeus in the back, but Jesus comes and he cries out to Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. How does Jesus know Zacchaeus? I don't necessarily know, but I'm assuming it's one of those things uh, that Jesus has been coming to Jericho for a lot of times in his life. Uh, Anytime he came to Jerusalem, the normal routes for good Jewish men would have been through Jericho. And it's quite possible because of Zacchaeus' station, uh, everyone just knows who he is. He's that guy that everyone doesn't like, and so everyone's talking about their problems being the cause by Zacchaeus. And so it's possible that Through his travels, Jesus happens to find out about Zacchaeus. We have that a little bit in our our town. The guy that we bought our house from, his name's Bob Marty, and I don't know who Bob is. I've never met Bob, but there's a lot of people that when I tell them, "Oh yeah, I own Bob Marty's house," they're like, "Oh yeah, I know who that is." Uh, Ironically, I was at a funeral here a couple uh, a week ago or so, uh, and the funeral place was so packed that we ended up in a hallway. We could hear everything that was happening, but we were in this hallway, and we couldn't see what was going on. And it just so happened that one of the people that spoke at this funeral was Bob Marty. So I I know what Bob Marty's voice sounds like. I still don't know what Bob Marty looks like. And that's kind of what I think is happening here with Zacchaeus, is Jesus doesn't necessarily know Zacchaeus, but he knows of Zacchaeus. And he recognizes who Zacchaeus is. Maybe they made short jokes of Zacchaeus, and he sees a short guy up in a tree. Whatever it is, Jesus comes to him, and while the rest of the people are not willing to forgive Zacchaeus, are not willing to accept Zacchaeus into a relationship with them, Jesus comes, and he turns everything upside down by addressing Zacchaeus and saying, I must stay at your house. Jesus didn't see the sin that Zacchaeus had. He saw the brokenness that was Zacchaeus. And rather than allowing the sin of the person to be what defined who Zacchaeus was, Jesus invited Zacchaeus into relationship. And Jesus' ministry throughout his life has been defined by this. All right, everyone that came to Jesus, everybody that was wanting something from Jesus, they all had issues. All right? They all had sins that they were struggling with. And Jesus looked beyond their sins to them as a human. And I think Jesus does this here because he understands his ultimate end goal. Now, this is the last time that he's going to be in Jericho. All right, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to be crucified on a cross. He's on his way to be buried in a tomb. Jesus knows this is my last chance. And so he talks to Zacchaeus and invites him in. Sometimes I think the reason why we typically don't invite people into relationship with Jesus is because we often think maybe next time. Maybe next time I'll do it. But the reality is is we don't necessarily know if there is a next time. There might not be a next time for them. there might not be a next time for us. And Jesus, He knows that there's no next time for him, and so He's going to take every opportunity to invite sinners into relationship. We need to not waste the time that we do have. Jesus doesn't waste his chance. He invites Zacchaeus into this relationship with him, and it doesn't sit well with everyone. In verse 7, we read that all the people that saw this began to mutter, complain. They said, he has gone to be a guest with a sinner. And this isn't the first time this happened. This isn't new. This is pretty normal for it to happen. All right, the other story of Jesus with a tax collector takes place in Luke chapter 5. And there, Jesus is going up to a tax collector by the name of Levi, and he says, Two words follow me. And whatever was in those words, whatever happened beforehand, Levi decides that he is going to follow Jesus. He leaves everything behind, and he goes after him. He follows. And the first thing that Levi decides to do is to throw a feast and invite all of his friends in. But do you know who the friends of outsiders are? Other outsiders. Levi is a tax collector, a sinner, one of the vilest. There's a reason why it says sinner and tax collectors, because tax collectors were in a category of their own. They could not just be lumped in with everybody that wasn't following God. They were people that were outside of that. That's how bad they were. And here Jesus is eating with sinners and with tax collectors. And do you know what the religious people were doing? Complaining just like the people in Luke chapter 19, who watched Jesus invite Zacchaeus into relationship and they begin to mutter and complain because they wanted that honor. And here Jesus is giving it to a nobody, to a tax collector, a sinner. What happens when we break from social norms And interact with outsiders as if they were insiders. I don't necessarily know Jesus when it happened with him. He was ridiculed for it. And I think a lot of us are afraid. What are people going to say about it? How are they going to treat me? Will I become an outsider because I'm associating with outsiders? And I think that the religious people's complaints causes us to second-guess whether or not we're going to interact with sinners. Sometimes I also wonder if we're not just like these people, this crowd. No, when sinners come in, do we block them from seeing Jesus? When Jesus invites them into a relationship, do we complain that this is the person that Jesus is associating with. Judd Wilhite is a preacher out in Las Vegas. Uh, and his, When he came to his church, he decided to start reaching out to the lost of his community. And if you know anything about Las Vegas, you can kind of imagine who those people are going to be, right? They're going to be the strippers, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the gamblers. People that most good Christians don't hang out with. And so they began to minister to this segment of society that needs to know who Jesus is, and they began to have people come into the church that had all these issues and were broken people. Judd says that one of his elders decided to come to him one day and say, Hey, Judd, just want to let you know I'm resigning and I'm leaving the church. And Judd asked, Okay, what can we do? Like. What happened? Why, why are you doing this? And the elder's response was this. He said, we used to reach the lost people, but now we're reaching the lost. I think sometimes we are so proud of ourselves when sinners come to know Jesus, and we pat ourselves on the back, but we, when vile sinners, those we deem way unworthy of Jesus, start to come into the church, we, we get a little hesitant with that. Ooh. And I wonder if we don't act like these crowd here. Is Jesus really for them? Yes, we know the answer. Who can come to God? Everyone can come to God. But do we believe it with our actions? It's hard sometimes. It's hard for me at times. It's hard, obviously, for elders, for longstanding members at times. But I think it's what Jesus was about. And I think far too often we look at the labels that we place on people rather than looking at the brokenness of people. Our world is broken. Sinners are broken. And we need to look to them and address the brokenness rather than the label. Something happens to Zacchaeus here. While the crowd is complaining and muttering, Zacchaeus is changing. In verse 8, we read that Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus causes change in people. And that's something that I think we sometimes forget. And I think Zacchaeus, he's building up to this moment. I think he wanted to change. He just didn't know what to do or or, or what had to happen. And I think Jesus, by calling Zacchaeus into relationship, is this catalyst for change in his life. Zacchaeus has changed, and he begins to show his sorrowfulness over his sinfulness by repenting. And he does two things to do this. Uh, The first thing that he does is he gives half of his possessions away to the poor. And I think it's important to recognize that Zacchaeus probably had issues with money. When he was a tax collector, he was a wealthy tax collector, which means he probably had issues with money and taking it from other people. And so, so when we look at repentance in people's lives, we have to recognize that it's not based off off of just giving money away what repentance is is based off what we struggle with so when Zacchaeus does this it doesn't mean that every one of us need to give half of our possessions away to the poor Uh, there's a story just a couple of stories before this about a young man uh, who comes to Jesus and he's wealthy and he asks Jesus what must I do to be saved and Jesus says well you know what to do obey the law And the man says, no, seriously, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll find salvation. And the man couldn't do it. And the thing that was keeping that man from following Jesus was his money. And I think that when Jesus says, sell everything that you have and do it, he knew that it was not going to happen, that this is the thing that kept the man back. In Acts chapter 19, we have a story of some people from the town of Ephesus coming to know Jesus, and they're being baptized, and they're following God, and they decide that the thing that was holding them back was witchcraft and sorcery, and so they had spent a bunch of money on these books and all these accessories for their their habits, and so they decide that they're going to repent from it, and so they build a bonfire, and they throw all these things that are worth lots of money into the bonfire. They showed their repentance by getting rid of the things that was holding them back from coming to God. And so, when we're talking about repentance in our lives, it needs to be shown by giving stuff up that keeps us from God. If it's money, then do what happened here. Do what Jesus tells the rich young ruler. Do what happens in Zacchaeus's life. Give it away. Don't rely on stuff. Find reliance on God. But maybe it's not money for you. Not everyone struggles with money. We have to recognize that. A lot do, many do, but not everyone. And so maybe for you, the thing that's keeping you from truly being dedicated to God is something else. Maybe it's lying. And you don't tell the truth to anyone. And if that's the case, then you need to find truthfulness even with everyone you come in contact with. And so maybe to show your repentance, you go to those you've lied to the most and you tell them the truth. What's really going on? What's really happening in your life? I don't know what it is that's keeping you from God, but I think from the life of Zacchaeus, we see that repentance is shown by giving up those things that keep us from God. The second thing that Zacchaeus does to have this relationship back with his fellow Israelites is he tells them, I'm going to restore what I've taken. He says, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to give back four times that amount. Now, this is way beyond what was required of him. So the law of Moses had things set out for if you had stolen from somebody, what you had to give back. So if you stole it and you realized that what you did was wrong and I wanted to give it back all right, by my own volition, all right, I only had to give back one and a fifth. So, so if I stole a dollar from you, I'd give you back $1.20. All right? If you had to go to court and you found out that you were a thief, all right, you had to give back two times that amount. So if I stole a dollar from you, you took me to court, I'd give you two dollars. That doesn't seem like fair, right? All right but that's just what I ha- happened. Uh, then if you were found to have done it intending harm on you, all right, I know that you only have one cow, so I stole your cow so that you would starve to death. Okay, I would have to give you four cows in return, four times the amount. Zacchaeus is doing this out of his own volition. He's wanting to give back. and He only was required to give back one and a fifth, but to show how sincere he was and the change that is happening in his life, he says, I'm going to give back four times the amount. Zacchaeus shows his commitment to the change that's happening in his life. And I think the thing that we have to recognize is that Jesus changes people. I mean, Jesus takes people where they were in their brokenness, and he heals that brokenness, even the vilest of sinners. And when we crowd people out, when we don't allow people to come in contact with Jesus, what ends up happening is we don't give the people a chance to change. Jesus closes this story with probably my favorite words that he speaks. He says this, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, Jesus gives commentary on what's happening because this whole thing takes place really quickly and the people are surprised by it all. I mean, they're shocked that Jesus is inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house. They're probably shocked that Zacchaeus, this man that they know to be greedy, is giving away his money now. It's all surprising. So Jesus gives them commentary, and he says, Zacchaeus has found salvation because he too is the son of Abraham. I think sometimes we look at people who are sinners, who do terrible things, even vile sinners like Zacchaeus was, And we look at them and we just put that label on and say, oh, he's just a tax collector. And we forget that underneath the sin, there is a human being. I think it's easier for us to just label them with a a sin tag and we can ignore having to help. This past couple weeks have been kind of crazy, if you've been following the news at all, with all the women who have stood up and said, I have been sexually assaulted. And two things come out of these stories for me. One, I am so sorrowful that we as a culture could not listen to them when these things took place. The other thing that comes out of this for me is this, is, is as I listen and read people's posts in response to everything that has happened, is I think sometimes it's just easier for us to villainize and to demonize those who have done these terrible acts. I pray for justice in every single one of these things that happen, but I also pray that we recognize that the women that have been assaulted are broken, and the men that have assaulted the women are broken. And I think that as Christians, Our response shouldn't be to demonize these men to the point where they cannot ever come to know Jesus. Our job isn't to crowd them out and keep them back. Our job is to pray that they can know who Jesus is so that they could repent and have healing in their lives so that the whole situation can be made better and glorify God. We cannot forget That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus can change people. And when we don't allow people to come to Jesus, change will never happen. I think as a church, we often forget this. I think as Christians, we forget that the only reason we stand where we stand is because of the blood of Jesus. Without the blood of Jesus, we are no better than any sinner in this world. Without the blood of Jesus, we stand in the same spiritual state as they do. We are just as broken as they are. But we have Jesus. And the change that has happened in our lives over the last however many years that we've been a Christian, it happens because of Jesus. Sometimes I think we forget that change happened because of Jesus, and we expect people to change without Jesus first. And asking people to change without Jesus is an impossible task. All right, it's like asking someone to build a porch swing and giving them only wood uh, and and a hammer or, or sorry, some nails and a screwdriver. And say, build a porch swing with these three items. Could they build a porch swing? Maybe, but how are they going to cut the wood? They don't have the tools to cut a wood. How are they going to drive the nails in? Maybe with a rock, maybe with the end of of the screwdriver, but it's not going to look pretty. It's not the easiest way. It's not the best way. And we have to recognize that change happens when Jesus enters relationship with people. And so we have to not create barriers that keep people away from Jesus. We need to tear down barriers and allow people to come to Jesus so they can find true healing in their lives. They can find change that will stick in their lives. Jesus causes the change. Zacchaeus changed not because he climbed a sycamore tree, He definitely didn't change because people were keeping him away from Jesus. He changed because Jesus entered a relationship with him and said, I must stay at your house. And if that is what caused the change in Zacchaeus' life, then that is what's going to cause the change in other people's lives. And so we must introduce them to Jesus more than keep them away. Jesus' arms are open wide for everyone. When Jesus came and He was nailed on that cross, not just for us who are sitting in this room today, not just for me, but He died for everyone. Even tax collectors. Even those that we deem unworthy. Even those who are on the outskirts of society. Even those who have been cast out. From the church. Jesus is hanging on that cross with his arms open wide, wanting these people to come to him. And as a church, we must allow that to happen. We must continue the mission of seeking the saving the lost and bringing them to Jesus. And if you don't know who Jesus is, he is there waiting for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin is in your past, Jesus is waiting for you. And his arms are wide for you. Let's pray. Dear God, in our lives, help us to recognize the truth that you died for me, that you died for those in this room, you died for those that don't even know who you are. Lord, your arms are open, wide, stretched from one end of the cross to the other, waiting for acceptance. Your blood provides forgiveness. Your body was broken in our place. And Lord, I just pray that we don't hold people back from you from this awesome sacrifice that you made. But rather, we break down the barriers that keep people from coming to you, that keep people from finding the healing that you give and the forgiveness that you provide. Help us to see people not with the labels that we give them, but for the brokenness that they are, for the humans, the divine image bearers, People like me Help us to view them as you saw them, those who needed you the most. I ask this in your name.